Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And, in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of Israels be like sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, 
See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. These next three chapters, 9 to 11, are often skipped by churches today, but they actually present the climax of Paul's arguments so far. We walked away from chapter 8 spellbound by God's goodness. Or we should have done. A repeated strategy of the powers is to cause distrust of Paul's message. All across the Mediterranean, Paul won people to the staggering truths of chapters 1 to 8, but then saw his churches ravaged by allegations against him. These allegations majored on the idea that Paul had abandoned the Old Testament. So, the logic went, his words could not be the very words of God. We hear those exact allegations today. People say Paul is just one voice among many, one of many preachers pushing his own views. With this allegation in our minds, we struggle to receive Romans as the unchanging and true words of God. That then leads to the growth of an opt-in, opt-out approach. And before long, whole churches are weakened through division or complacency. Paul speaks into this directly here with an emotional reflection on the hope of the Old Testament. Paul knew he was one voice among many. Everywhere he went, people preached alternative truths. Paul stresses how much he has agonised over that very fact. Then he fights to show that his message is the message of God. Paul shows how his every word is directly in line with the promises of the Old Testament. Paul's gospel is exactly what the unchanging God always said he would do, even if he did it in a way that was slightly unexpected. Think about the gravity of this truth. Let it obliterate any opt-in, opt-out approach in your heart. We're not believers in a new doctrine that happened to win the Roman Empire. These aren't just Paul's words. This scripture, this gospel is the word that God himself always intended to say and did say through Paul. There is no other gospel, no other message, no other path. This letter of Romans is God's letter to you. Paul is simply a sinful man ambushed by the Redeemer God to repeat what God has told him to say. It's God himself writing this unchanging truth and making it available to you through this person, Paul. So, as you read Romans, you can trust it. You can lean on it. You can build your life on it. Even bet your eternity on it. And the appeal of Paul is to never let any other voice diminish your confidence that it's God's voice speaking to you through his book. Here's a question for reflection. What difference would it make to your engagement with the Bible if you truly believed it was God writing to you? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.